Turtle and Hughes presents The Power of Partnerships. Hello, everybody. I'm Scott West. I'm here with the father of integrated supply, George Crowder, the one that started it all. He's the guy that, that, that started this craze way back in the late 70s, right, George? That was when you really kind of started. Early, early, yeah, yes. Early 70s, maybe? Early so, 70s, yeah. So, yeah, so the, the concept that uh, didn't really catch on big time until maybe the 90s or so, you know, you were busy drafting and refining, you know, 20 years prior to, to, to when most of the rest of us kind of got made aware of, uh, of this of this new service model. So it's, uh, it's great for you to uh, join us today for a little discussion on the value of such a program. It is really my very best pleasure right now. So George, you know, in your experience, why have companies decided to maybe outsource their MRO functions? There are multiple, multiple reasons, and they vary from company to company. I don't think any two of them are exactly alike, but I can give you some examples. For an example, Elizabeth Seaport, they wanted to go into a, a third-party program to outsource MRO uh, because then they hired a new guy to come in and do it because they couldn't do it themselves. They realized they had a lot of problems. So the new guy came in and went through the process to outsource it. The fact that uh, the, the virus stopped it for a while uh, doesn't mean that there wasn't a lot of value. At a uh, power tool company, there was a VP in purchasing who wanted to make a name for himself. So he, he was a very strong individual and he went to the plant managers and told them what the value would be if they outsourced their MRO and challenged them who's going to get there first. The three the people. Power tool companies were buying to get the program started. Forklift truck company, they had a corrupt MRO buyer. And the, and the politics were such that they couldn't get rid of them. So they simply took, uh, got themselves out of the MRO business right. by totally outsourcing the function. Uh, a food company, corporate went to purchasing and said, you have to take 500000 out of your buy. And then went to operations and said, you have to take 750000 out of your buy. Well, the two, this, the, the purchasing CF, CPO and the, the operations VP said, how are we going to do that? Well, let's start with MRO. Well, it was really interesting because we did make a presentation and did a value management study. And the two of them were arguing over which one was going to get the credit of the benefits. And I simply pushed my chair back and said, go at it, guys. You right. know, we're, we're home free. I don't care who gets credit. Right. So that brings <laughs> up an interesting point, George. I mean, there's all kinds of different people, different roles within an organization that might see the value differently, right? So what, what are some of the, the, the functions, the, 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 the leadership positions that you've had unique interactions with where you would try to sell them on the value of, of what a program like this could be for them? Well, the first thing you need to do that needs to happen 
is to find out who is the champion. Yeah. Is it purchasing? Is it finance? Is it operations, maintenance? Uh, and then determine what their goals are. What, what are their pain points? Mm -hmm. And from there, uh, you need to be able to get that value management study. That defines the cost they have now and what the cost will be if they go into a personalized program. Personalization means uh, establishing a statement of work that reflects the solutions. And, and also how you measure it, right? I mean, there's a lot of different ideologies, if you will, about how things are measured. You know, a lot of it starts with establishing a baseline. Where are you today? Right. But there's a yeah. lot of different ways to measure it. And I, I can I can imagine that there's been lots of really animated discussions over the years about how to measure it and when to measure it and where, you know, where the starting points are and what the goals should be, I'm sure. Well, if purchasing is involved, their goal is to buy it cheaper. Mm -hmm the buy, uh, price right and the value that a third party program produces prices pretty far down the list when you look at all of the other problems that MRO causes in, in a tire company the purchasing department reported to the CFO that that, that must be how how that industry operates and it was a battle in terms of what purchasing wanted mm -hmm. uh, and purchasing had long-term agreements that were going to be affected by this. So sure. they were protecting their job. Uh, there was a consultant there who did a study along with the value management study that we presented. And he said to the CFO, if you had gone into this program last year, you all would have made bonus, but you didn't. That did it. <laughs> Nothing like hitting them in their pocket, right? Turn the tide, right? Yeah. But like you said, there's a lot of different areas in MRO impacts. It's not just price. I mean, there's there's got to be a number of ways to measure the effectiveness of a, an integrated supply program, like on-time delivery, inventory fill rates, you know, all, all kinds of things like that. I mean, it, it really touches a number of areas within the operations. Well, let me address each of those. Sure. The inventory reduction certainly improves cash flow, and the CFO is happy about that. Uh, the maintenance is not so happy about that because they feel that they're not going to have the parts they need to do the job. So if you have inventory reduction coupled with an increase in fill rate, that's an optimum situation. Right. And in order to do that, you have to have uh, uh, adequate information. You have to have good, true data. And unfortunately, many MRO situations just do not have it. Uh, you can ask the various disciplines what their MRO spend is per year, and you can get variants of over a million dollars. Yeah. Purchasing will say uh, it's low. Maintenance will say it's high. The, the CFO will say, I don't know. Uh, also, the other, the other problem is that 
the definition of what is MRO versus what is not varies from organization to organization. Sure. So just the value of being able to tell them what their spend is and categorize it and predict it and maybe even, you know, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, be able to manage some sort of a budget. That's got to be a big win for a CFO. Well, I'll, I'll give you another example of an example of a water company who said it looks like outsourcing would be good for us, but we only spend five hundred thousand dollars a year. And I said to him, I can stand across the street from your plant and tell you you spend a lot more than that. So what do you consider MRO? Well, he didn't consider electric supplies MRO. And that in itself was a half a million dollars. So what is the definition it has to have a consensus of agreement among all of the disciplines. Right. In order for a program to be successful, there's a couple things that have to happen. And one I always harp on is if you can't implement it properly, don't do it because it's going to fail. Right. So implementation has to be properly done and assigned uh, to an expert from the third-party company. The other thing is that all the disciplines, all their goals have to be defined and then satisfied in the statement of work. Right. It's got to be collaborative. It's got to be cooperative. It can't be one organization bringing it and fully implementing it. It has to be in tandem or else it's not going to work. The Seaport had a VP in engineering who was in charge of the MRO. Mm -hmm. And he was a year away from retiring and he stopped it. He did everything he could to stop it because he didn't want anything to change. Right. It I is have, a change. It's there a was change for organizations. They have to be able to, to let go. And hopefully if they're hiring an expert, be able to trust that that expert's going to be able to deliver on what they, what they promised. So it's objectivity versus a personal goal. Yeah. A, a purchasing manager in a food, uh, a clothing company in South Carolina saw that his staff would be diminished, meaning his importance would be diminished. And he stopped it. There was no way around. Yeah. Uh, they ended up sending the sewing to Honduras and eventually four plants closed. Nice gone guy. Mm -hmm. That really worked out great. A little bit short-sighted. Yeah, well, exactly right. So so we, we've heard about a couple of the times where people have been fighting it. What are some examples of what people really thought, hey, this is an opportunity. I'm seeing this in my operations that I don't like or that I think that there's a better way. And I've got the foresight or at least the clarity to be able to say someone else could come in here and do it better. I, I'm sure you've seen great examples of people that were aware of their situation and decided to do something about it and got you involved. Okay, a couple, couple answers to that. One, they recognize that there's value there, but they don't know how to do it. Yeah. So there are many companies who will say, well, why can't we do it ourselves? Well, why haven't you done it yourself? And basically they are not in a position in the supply chain to do it themselves. Yeah. So they have to understand where MRO comes from. 
I had a major uh, pharmaceutical company from an, an unknowledgeable person uh, in corporate who said, hey, we're XYZ company. We can buy directly. Well, you should have seen how that worked out. I'm sure. Uh, there was a company that had an on-site operation, uh, a food company, and a new CFO came in and said, I can save that markup. Mm-hmm. A, a, a good third-party um, program needs to have open book by both parties. Right. If a company says, well, we're not going to show you our costs, we're not going to share information, that's a good time to walk away. Just won't work. Right. So in this particular case, this new CFO knew what the margin was and said he could save it. Well, he went from one supplier to 180. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, I didn't really answer your question. I'm sorry I went off a little bit. But the, the companies like um, there was a power company, they owned a furniture company, and they saw the value that had that had worked for this furniture company. The furniture company went on, had somebody come on site, had us come on site. Uh, because they couldn't supply the MRO. Uh, 70, 30% of the time, the parts they needed weren't there. So what the requisitioners did was if there was six there, they took all six out and hid them. So the other people who wanted some of that SKU was not there. And an electronics company in North North, uh, Jersey I love this Buffon hat story. Uh-huh. The min maxes were 1,500 Buffon hats. And because they were used to being out of Buffon hats, one requisitioner came and took all 500. Later that day, another requisitioner came and said, I want Buffon hats. And our clerk had to say, we're out of them. I said, time out. We're not, we may be out of them, but the plant isn't. Right. So we went down to the original requisitioner and said, do you have 500 heads to put hats on? I said, no. Well, give us 250 of them back for this other guy. So it's a matter of managing it. But, I mean, that's the, the, the reason is the unreliability of an MRO storeroom. The lack of trust in the system. If they feel that they've got to establish their own inventory position to be able to take care of their needs and they can't trust that inventory to be available when and if they need it, it's going to relate to stashes and swamps and duplicate inventories and just in general, um, a break in the process where they, they have to establish uh, you know, their own processes and that's never good for the company. But a power tool, a power tool company, uh, plant manager figured out that he was spending three or more hours a day with MRO problems, but MRO was only 10% of his total buy. I have to have a solution. Right. And fortunately, we were able to get this guy and we have a um, I'm get to him and put a program in. And he made the statement, which we, we have used, that now, he, if it's an hour every Friday, it's a lot. Yeah. So 
that's the reason. There's so multiple reasons why people decide to get out of that business. They are in the business of making power tools. They are not a Home Depot. Right. And and as MRO storeroom uh, basically is a hardware store. It's a Home Depot. It's a Lowe's. Mm-hmm. And why should they? Be, why should you be in that business when that's not what you do? It's not you what you know how to do. We always said we don't know how to make forklift trucks, but you don't know how to run a hardware store. Right. And I'll give you another one. And this is a very very large chemical company. I made a presentation. In the presentation was the plant, all the disciplines. They even had a lawyer in there. And what the plant manager said was, I am taking the responsibility of MRO away from purchasing and I'm giving it it to you, Jim, VP of maintenance. I'm giving it to you in order for, to solve the problem because it is a mess. Uh, we ha- he he referred to fish inventory control, which was for yeah first in still here, <laughs> and the inventory obsolescence was huge, and we wasn't getting the parts, so he turned it over to the maintenance manager, and the main- maintenance manager uh, took us on a tour, and he said I know how to break machinery down and put it back together so it was better. But I have no idea how to run a storeroom. I said, you're not in the hardware store business. Right. Exactly. I said, then what you need to do is turn it over to an expert, someone who is totally in the business and understands the supply chain. Did we get that account? The answer is no. And there's a, a, a corporate purchasing found out about it and denied it because they were protecting their long-term agreements. Right. And that's what happens. So the problems are not solved. And at the at the end of the day, they simply say, that's what it is, that's what it is, put up with it. Yeah. Which is a shame. However, the surge toward outsourcing MRO is growing and growing and growing because there are companies like Turtle and Hughes, who know what they're doing. And I think one of the most important things is once you've got that commitment from an organization that they're ready to turn that over, they also have to be willing and able to turn it over relatively completely, right? So if you're going to hire the expert, if you're going to bring them in, you're going to say, now you're in charge of this, you've got to give them the latitude, the leeway, the authority to be able to make the changes that are truly going to be able to result in the metrics that you're trying to achieve. Otherwise, it's just going to continue the same bad habits and uh, you know misplaced policies that got you into that mess in the first place. It needs to be exactly. staffed. Yeah, it, it will, it, you'll get some benefits from it, but you don't really get anywhere near to optimization. Right. Uh, if, if they don't turn it over completely, there's a myriad of reasons why people are afraid or don't want to turn it over. Like good old Joe comes in, been in coming coming in for 30 years and brings donuts on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. They want to protect them. There's a way around that. So again, I get back to the fact that the statement of work has to be personalized. Yeah. 
to each and in the, each and every individual situation and the and the personalities. Right. Uh, somebody asked me to write down how a an individual how individuals in a company can defeat the program. And I said, oh, okay, well, I got the 35. <laughs> and then I added another 15 and threw five more in. Right. For, they, uh, you're right. They can be their own worst enemies sometimes. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing how many times we've seen over the years uh, an apparent commitment to change, but then, well, you're going to do it our way and this is how it works here. Or these are the rules that we need you to live by. And at the at the outset of the program, you, you're filled with hope, but then it really turns into an extension of the status quo after a period of time. If they're not really willing and able to to make the commitment to change, yeah, it's it, it's according to how strong the champ. I call him the champion. How yeah. strong is the champion, or how strong is that department? In the case of the power tool company, the corporate guy was very very strong, and he saw the benefits. He saw a way to make a name for himself, uh, which is fine. Uh, and so, therefore, everybody, it went, went beautifully. Right. So these kind of programs actually can make the champions uh, into, into stars. They can make the champions look like they have achieved what they set out to if it's supported properly, staffed properly, and given the right authority and scope of work. Absolutely, that that is should be the goal of any third party integrator to be able to make their champions, you know, shine. Well, sure. the 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 shipyard companies, if if the virus hadn't come along, that champion, that new guy, would have risen really beautifully in right. that company. Right. Because he, because not only did he cut costs or cut inventory, not how would have cut it. What right. inventory, but the big the big situation is that when the maintenance guy came to the storeroom, it's going the commitment for it was to be 98, 90, 98, 99% on critical items, mm-hmm. items that could shut the plant down. Uh, their measurement on that was something like 70. So 30% of the time, the the guy didn't get his stuff. So what did he do? He bought around it and substocked it. Mm-hmm. So when you say reduction in inventory, are you talking inventory that's controlled or are you talking uncontrolled inventory? When a forklift truck plant moved from Philadelphia to uh, North Carolina, they found, no exaggeration, $980,000 worth of MRO in the plant was a million square foot plant. So what were were they going to do with it? So imagine if that, whatever then the value of inventory is and the value of increased inventory as a result of not knowing you had it, the the savings were tremendous. I I always thought, I said, well, if you had, if you had realized those savings, maybe you wouldn't have to move. Right. I mean, they moved because the labor was cheaper there, but sure. But you're right. You could, this does, a third party MRO program does make you more competitive. It does reduce your costs. It does make you more efficient if supported and staffed properly, obviously making that assumption. 
But that's a great topic, George. I mean, what are some of the biggest impacts you've seen over the years? What are the biggest deliverables, the biggest wins, the, the programs that really were the most successful in your experience? Well, the, the most successful is what, what you just said a little earlier, which has to do with get out of the business totally. Yeah. Meaning that when the requisitioner comes to the window and wants a stock unit, that's a delivery. And there's no other cost that the company gets involved in. The, the uh, provider, the th third party, buys it, restocks, controls the inventory, and has the total control. And it has, has to be measured. Like I said, 98, 99% bill rates. Mm -hmm. And then there's, there's uh, the value of inventory reduction. I had one company say, inventory reduction doesn't mean anything because I don't, corporate doesn't give me any, any uh, credit. I said, then why don't you buy a thousand of everything? Mm -hmm. There was no answer to that. <laughs> so, so the benefit, the real benefit, which I think is hard to measure is the reduction in downtime. Right. The existing downtime. What, what the third party provider has to be very careful of is that they don't take responsibility for downtime because I have seen it where any, any kind of downtime that's caused is blamed on the MRO storeroom. They did it. Mm -hmm. They find a way to blame it. So you can't take, can't take responsibility. Right. But the, if the plant measures mean time, MTTR, mean time to repair, or mean time before repair, then that can be measured in terms of having not only the part they need, but in the quantity they need. So the benefit there is to reduce the inventory, get rid of the obsolete, get rid of fish. <laughs> yeah, fish. <laughs> get rid of fish. fish. Uh, yeah, and, um, and then increase, get to the 98, 90% meaning that the, you don't have maintenance guys standing around, the projects move forward, production is not uh, impacted. Again, that's kind of hard to measure. Too many times it's measured on price. And mainly it also if a, if a narrow-minded purchasing guy is in charge, he's measured on reduction, price reduction. That's how he gets his bonus. Mm -hmm. So that is a danger. There are situations where, uh, well, I'll, I'll give you one. Um, the tire company said they were buying Hubble. Uh, the supplier supplied uh, Pass and Seymour, but said they were buying Hubble, meaning when somebody bid, they would bid Hubble, mm -hmm. and they were high. Sure. So what was on the shelf was not really the description. I got many examples of that. Seen that over and over again, where the data doesn't match the shelf. Yeah, so that, that's always that's always one of the things that you need to take a look at to make sure that you're measuring accurately. So having that accurate baseline, understanding the true costs, and then measuring for continuous improvement is a critical component of any of the, any type of program like this. So and so the critical component also is a true partnership. You can't have an adversarial relationship. 
I got him on that. You know, right. real kinds of problems that can be solved, or I'm going to hold that up as as an example of why it doesn't work. Right. But again, we get back to the same thing we talked about right from the beginning. Everybody has to be on board, and everybody has to recognize that there are problems that can be solved. Right. Well, Omar, yeah. a very, very complex situation. Yeah. The, one, of, one of the reasons I don't like the word integrated supply, if you will, is because there are so many definitions of it. And if a company uh, picks one and it doesn't work, then the using company will say, I'll never go with integrated supply again. Look what happened. It didn't work. Well, what definition? What, what, what flavor? What flavor did you not did you had? There's exactly. a company in the South has nine definitions. Pick one. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's blanket order. They call blanket orders integrated so far. That's the that's the greatest uh, challenge, but also the biggest attribute for integrated supply is that the ability for it to be customized and 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 put in place specifically for one company, and even could vary from one site to another within that same enterprise. That's the value, but it's also some of the biggest challenges of, of customizing it to each individual personality. I know a lot of companies who think they can do integrated supply will say, who can't run a storeroom? What's, what's so tough about that until they try to do it? Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to have the experience. I think there's a, there was a statement, knowing how to be at bat is different than being at bat. Meaning, say, yeah, I can run a storeroom. It's a lot different than doing it. Yeah, That's why companies like Turtle are successful because they have separated the function from traditional to on-site operations. Right. You, gotta, you have to have the right software. You have to have the right processes. You have the right strategies and the right people to execute it. So it's all those things working in tandem because... And this is something that maybe doesn't get as much attention as it should. How complex MRO really is? It's, you know, it's hundreds of thousands, millions of SKUs that are potential needs for that operation and tens of thousands, if not more, potential supplier partners. And having one company be able to be that, that consolidation point, that aggregator to not only go out to all of those different suppliers and be able to get that right part and get it in at the right cost on and on time, but also then to give you one bill at the end of the month. I mean, George, how many times have you seen customers that have been overjoyed at the efficiencies that they've gained in their accounts payable process? They've gone from hundred, maybe even over a thousand supplier invoices, invoicing them all, all month long to a supplier giving them one or two invoices for the entire time period. There was a foundry outside of Philadelphia. Well, we had the program and it went to one invoice a month, mm -hmm. uh, which eliminated huge numbers of paperwork. But the program was uh, failed because maintenance made it fail. Uh, they, would bring, they would take a critical part out in, in an off hour and then request it and then say the line would shut down. So on and on. Any event, uh, about two years or so later, 
there was a new CFO. And the CFO called us and said, there was a huge amount of paperwork, file after file. And then there was two years where there wasn't anything. And now there's a whole bunch of, a lot of paperwork. What, what's, what's, what, what happened during those two years? I said, well, do you want me to well, come over and I'll explain it, which I did. And he said, well, I invited uh, two people to sit in on the meeting. And I looked above the, uh, the glass enclosure and it was those some same two people that <laughs> shot the program down. I said, you don't have a program here. <laughs> right, right. The point is, there's the great value. The, the, the process of the purchase order right. is gone. Uh, the accuracy is there. The integrity of the process, too. So with an integrator, with a, somebody who's coming in a third-party materials management company, they can standardize that process. So from requisition to approval to purchase to receipt to invoice, it all looks the same. It's all standardized. It's all following along with the approved guidelines rather than the shotgun approach where you just throw POs out to a bunch of suppliers and hopefully they can get all recognized and and brought back in and consolidated and figured out. I mean, really turning the program over creates efficiencies. It creates standardization and it creates clarity in the process. Well, it's when, when it's pointed out or when a company realizes that MRO is only 10, 12, 15% of the total spend, if you have, if you can define it. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it uh, produces or causes 80% of the paper process. Why are you in this business? Absolutely. Get out of it. And and then you have the dot-com companies, and I can go on for hours about them. Uh, they, they will come in and say, uh, we'll put a system in and you'll save all this money. Uh, it's $100 per purchase order. I asked one of them, I said, well, if you... If you save 10,000 purchase orders, is that a million dollars that you saved or whatever whatever the arithmetic is? Right. And yeah, that's what you do. I said, well, show me a CFO that's going to agree that they saved a million dollars. It's it's baloney. Right. I had a great, in a seminar where a lady stood up, she said, I'm in, we went into that corporate, the, the dot-com company's program and and she said i'm in maintenance and all it did was shift the cost from purchasing we have the cost we had to hire more people mm -hmm. to handle the additional costs so once again it has to be analyzed truthfully and then the value management study produces the goals it gets everybody that all the disciplines to agree based upon how they're paid, how their how their job security is, and then a business case, and then the statement of work. Implementation, and then everybody has to do it. There's a, there's a lot of cases where the statement of work is there and nobody looks at them. It, it, it is a significant undertaking, but the results that can be achieved are so worth it. Being able to 
actually establish the baselines and the measure for continuous improvement and to really get clarity on what's being bought. As you started out saying, just understanding what is this MRO? Where is it going? How, what's the depth and breadth of it? How many suppliers are involved? How many different invoices? How many different approval processes and purchasing methods and inventory positions and uh, you know, planning uh, parameters do we need to, to bring in play here? Why bother? Make your widgets, make your uh, forklifts or your tires or whatever it is that you do, spend your time doing that and offload the responsibility and, and honestly upgrade your talent at the time. Yeah. I think, I think there's, you, you could put companies into three positions. One, recognizing I have an MRO problem and want to do something about it, but they do not know how to approach it. So that's certainly a, a good prospect. Another one who has the problems, but doesn't recognize it. There's many companies have MRO problems. So 10%, forget about it. Let's worry about the 90% where the savings percentage-wise from MRO is far and above what they can save uh, in other areas. Mm. And then there's the ones that went into it and failed. And they're out there looking for some other, another way to, to improve it or a way to improve it. Really, at the end of the day, there, there's so many reasons to get out of the MRO business. It's nobody's core competency other than the integrators and, and some of those distributors out there that do integrated supply. But this is what an integrator will do for you. Professional management of the supply chain, you know, in-depth understanding of all the different categories and subcategories, all the different supplier partners out there, strategies and softwares for managing requisitioning, managing purchasing, managing inventory, connecting it to uh, dispensing solutions, whether it's vending machines or other cabinets, reorganizing your processes, being able to look at the physical layout of your storeroom. You know, this is what an integrated supply third-party management company does. They don't, they're not going to compete with you on the widgets that you make, on the tires that you make, on the medical devices that you make. Don't that, make forklift trucks. No, if you want to make forklift trucks, do that, but don't worry about your MRO. Get somebody who does that day in and day out and has got proven processes and, right. and, and, and experience doing that. There's another one that's very important that is sometime overlooked is a continual improvement program. Mm -hmm. There's so much value that can be achieved through ha having a commitment from the supplier, from the third party being on site. And we have to answer what have you done lately? And a lot of good examples of great improvement that they would not get from their existing supplier base. The existing supplier base salesman has a quota. Give me an order. Let's go to lunch. And that's about the extent of the value that they produced. Whereas the on-site uh, third-party company has to commit to be looking into how to improve situations. Right. Had a company that made egg rolls. 
and there was a gadget in there that was always failing. Brought in engineers, looked at it, gave them a new egg roll gizmo, and they saved thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, so that if you have a program that you have to have continual improvement, you have to have the supplier, the th third party supplier, has to bring in people right. to look at these things and find where improvements can happen. And that's got to be a part of the statement of work. Right. You have to raise expectations because continuing to do the self-performance is not a recipe for you to get to where you need to be. Self-performance is the bare minimum, right? Um, being able to outsource it to somebody who does it in many different industries and have seen a lot of different uh, challenges over the years and have come up with solutions. And, you know, there's not one solution out there. There's probably several different ways to improve operations, but someone who's able to come in and look at it from the outside, from an expert perspective, rather than being encumbered by all of the status quo or the, the processes that have been going on, this is the way we do it all these years, being able to come in and, and raise those expectations because that's what you get. You get somebody who is making commitments and guarantees in a lot of cases that they're going to impact your operations and they're going to make those changes that are gonna result in lower cost of operations, more efficiency, lower inventory or more valuable inventory, if you will, whatever those KPIs are that you can jointly agree on, you're raising the expectations and you're, you're saying this is going to happen, which is oftentimes is very difficult to do if you don't outsource it. You know, keeping it in-house in, in is a recipe for the status quo, I think. Yeah, many, many companies have purchasing who has, they have long-term agreements and they think this is the optimum position. Mm -hmm. What could be better than that? Well, and go on and on about what could be better. Right. Uh, the the long term agreement supplier in many cases has the margin squeezed so much when it when it comes to uh, service or delivery or anything else that's low on the list. Had right. a few company in, in in Delaware who the purchasing head couldn't understand why his inventory was increasing. Why is my inventory increasing? Well, he had to buy from, let's say it was a, uh, I don't know, janitorial supply. Mm -hmm. Had to use had to use the LTA. And so it placed the order, but the LTA supplier was 125 miles away. So, and the margin was maybe four or 5%. So that supplier, when they got around to it, they would ship, but it shipped. Well, meanwhile, the plant's out, out of thousand tissue. So they go to the local store and buy inventory. They had to in order to have tissue. Right. Subsequent to that, here comes four pallets of tissue. In. That's why the inventory was increasing. Exactly. You got so to, to, to maintain operations. That's you first. You have to be careful of the LTA. Yeah. First and foremost, the goal should be to maintain operations is is to be able to have that plant up and running, producing, making money, doing what they do, producing their right. products, their core competency. So that's got to be the first thing. But then that continuous improvement expectation uh, is really the basis for the rationale for outsourcing your MRO program. You're right. You have what the pain points are, 
the pain points to each discipline have to be addressed, and that has to be in the statement of work. Then everybody agrees to it. And if you have if you have somebody not in a, agreeing, and that person is in a an important position that can affect things negatively, don't do it. Go right. something else. Yeah, not going to work. So, so George, you've seen integrated supply literally from the beginning. When you first came up with the idea of being able to do more for your customers and be more valuable to them and really kind of work with them side by side on site, what have you seen and where do you expect it to go in the future? I mean, there's, there's, there's been an industry after an industry that have adopted integrated supply and it's become more prevalent in, say, healthcare. You know, automotive to a certain extent was one of the early adopters. But uh, where do you see it going from here? It, it has to continue to expand because it's it's true. The savings are true. It's not a sales gimmick. It's not, we'll do this, maybe. Uh, it, it, it has real value when when the program is, again, customized to the needs of the disciplines. Everybody agrees to it. And then the value, I keep saying it's real. It is. It's not made up. Right. The first integrated supply program was I had inventory on hold for uh, this particular company. And I wouldn't sell it to anybody else because I promised them that I had it on hold. This is, was a traditional purchase order, send it, go to receiving. And I talked to the purchasing manager and I said, you know, I have this inventory and you have the inventory. What if I put the inventory on your site and you won't have inventory cost? And he said, wow, that sounds like a great idea. Take me where you have one. And I said, you're the first. <laughs> we were have a, having lunch and he said, waiter, two more beers. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to start somewhere. So that was the first uh, so-called integrated supply. And it's developed into uh, 38 different flavors like Baskin Robbins. I don't even know how many they have these days, but there's there's, there's a right flavor out there for for most organizations. They could come up with a specialized scope of work that really is meaningful for them. It could have their own levers and triggers and KPIs and and touch points and, and hot button issues. But that's what the the beauty of outsourcing it to a professional organization is, the ability to customize it to what exactly suits your needs. Well, you hit it earlier in saying to benefit the most, to optimize, they have to totally get out. Right. Totally turn it all over to the third party. Then the third party has to report based upon the statement of work. If inventory is going to go down 15%, They have to agree what the inventory is and what inventory is going to go down. Mm -hmm. Is price going to go down? We have to make sure we're talking apples and apples in comparison, especially with respect to time. Companies will, I bought it in 2010, and now they're comparing the 2010 price to 2020. They have to be together, the people who are running it and the people who are supplying it have to have cooperation. Yeah, at the end of the day, it has to be a measurement of what would it be without that third party involved 
if we were just doing it on our own. That's the fairest comparison. If the third party wasn't here, what would we have expected to pay for it or uh, what costs would we incur versus what costs and or value are created with the- well, you have to be, you know, I can buy that wrench for $9 and you charge 11. Wow. There's the, and that's kind of thinking exists. Yeah. It always makes more scrutiny and that's okay. That's okay. Because that's what our job is, is to bring more scrutiny and to raise the expectation. So that comes with the territory oftentimes is that all of a sudden people have got a great idea or they could have done uh, something different all along, but they never quite got to that point until we began the operations there. So it's always uh, interesting right. conversations, but that's what makes us better. That's what makes our customers better. Well, there are companies that outsource third party and it failed. The, the, what was promised didn't happen mm -hmm. and very reluctant to try it again. But to take it back in house, they're going to go back to the way it was, which they now have seen how bad that is. Right. I want to go back to that. See, very so, few companies that go to a, to an integrator that don't stick with it. They may change integrators for one reason or another, but uh, for the most part, once you've gone down that path, you know that self performance really isn't an option that you should be considering. Exactly. Yeah. Well, George, this has been great. I think this was a really educational for me and a lot of the viewers here about what the value really is and, and how it came to be and how you really need to look at an integrated program, a third-party materials management uh, organization, what they can do for you. So, so glad to have spent some, some more time with you, my friend. Uh, it's always a, a great conversation. I love it. And, and anytime you want to do it, let's do it. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me.